I mean, you'll know this yourself. I, I don't envy you. I've not had to be the sole pastor of a church ever. So I can only imagine what it would be like. But it is like, I mean, in our context, it's like spinning plates. Do you know? Do you, know you know how those people do that trick where they... And you give this one a spin and you race over here and spin that one and then you find that one slowed down and you give it a spin you race over and do that one. So you're doing a million things at once and you can't survive like that. Uh, and so you don't get lots of things up and running and it's fatal to operate that way. So for, me, for some of you, and particularly guys who are thinking about planting churches, part of the question is, what do I do? How do I manage things? Um, I just want to, say, I want to say under three headings something about that. How do I build the mission team? And um, Bruce might have stuff to offer on this in the Q&A. Some of you guys might have thought through this before, but the first thing is you can't do everything. You can't do everything. So when it comes to the area of mission, remember, remember the structure. That is, remember, what am I trying to do? Got that? So what are, the, what are the things that are immediately important that will deliver um, an outcome, uh, that will help people grasp the gospel and begin to communicate the gospel. And In the end, you, you want to see people become Christians. And so the fundamental question is, what's the most immediate thing I can do to help people become Christians? Is it to start the Bible study group, the Nurture Bible study group that runs Christianity Explained? Is it to run the regular event that ticks in the background of church that says to the church member, there'll be something coming up this term that I can invite my friends to? Um, is it to run the regular thing for men that, uh, or for women? Or What is the thing that will most immediately help people in the goal to cause people to become Christians? Now, sometimes the most immediate thing, the thing that matters the most, will be part of the structure that exists or something that you need to create. So what is the most immediate thing that I need to put time and energy into? Sometimes it'll be because a person comes along who actually doesn't fit your structure. And I'll say something about that in a moment. It's the person who comes along with the gift that you weren't really looking for. <laughs> but it makes you realise there's a whole area of ministry which I hadn't considered yet, but this person would be perfect for. So um, remember the structure and then consider... Which are the matters that matter? Uh, which, which are the key things that matter most? Both external and internal. One of the dangers here, and I know Bruce mentioned it there earlier, is um, uh, if we only think about ministry, uh, about mission within Australia, uh, I think we do a disservice to the Great Commission, to Jesus in his commission. Because there is a desire um, in the heart of Jesus to reach people everywhere. We won't have... We won't have trouble, although Bruce has found to the contrary, we won't have trouble getting people to minister in the same context that you've modelled for them. In fact, one of the great dangers for us in our context is we will tend to produce lots of church planters because that's what we've modelled to them, church planting. But there will be some people whom we will identify who actually do have the ability to go overseas and they ought. So we do have to identify those people and we do have to set a vision for them that it is too small to simply think of our paddock. We've got to think more widely than that. So which are the matters that matter? And then um, prioritise the roles that you need to fill. Um, now I'm saying that because if you're the sole pastor in a church or you're a keen, um, you're a keen volunteer in church, there aren't many of you. 
And if I can put it this way, I think in the area of mission, there are less than any other. Now, do you find that, Bruce? There are less people willing to take on roles in the area of mission? I think it's the case because um, to train people to lead Bible studies, you've got to be reasonably competent at leading a Bible study. You've got to be reasonably competent. But you can be a desk jockey. You, know, you can just be the person that's read the books on how to do it and then you regurgitate it. But to be a person who trains people in how to tell some of the gospel, you cannot fake it. If you've not done it, you're never going to lead anyone in it. And so to find the people who've done it and are experienced at it and good at it and can lead others with confidence, that's difficult to do. And my observation is I don't find, I don't find lots of naturals at church. I find most of those mature people get taken for the maturing groups, the Bible study groups. Because it's the same issue, it's always the same issue, fear of man means that the competent Bible study leader is often competent in that realm where he's got to operate internally within church, where he won't have to do the hard yards of risking himself with people who aren't sympathetic to him. And so roles within church are much, much easier to fill. You need people with deep conviction and character and confidence and who actually go and do evangelism to lead in evangelism. So... You need to prioritise the roles that, you, um, that you've got to fill. And uh, for me, those would be... I, I find it hard to get people who can do the speaking at evangelistic events within church. I found some. And that means that's fantastic because it means they can speak somewhere else and I can speak... We've just doubled what we're, we're capable of doing. Um, but what I do need to find is the people who can lead the, um, the evangelistic follow-up Bible studies... They're critical people. And I said before, you need the very best people that you've got to do that kind of thing. Um, So remember the structure and remember, um, think... um, Don't... if, If you're only ever looking for a person to fill a particular role, sometimes it's like you're looking for the square peg to put into the round hole. You know, you're going to squash a person into that role irrespective of whether they're fitted for it or not. And in a small church, that just might have to be how things operate. Um, If you've got the luxury of a number of people, you want to find out what is the very best place such a person can operate. Um, Is it in the follow-up area? Uh, Is it in the speaking area? Is it in the training area? Um, I cannot find good trainers at my church. um, uh, I've got a couple of very experienced guys who can do it, very hard to find good trainers. And so, and yet having other people do the training will take a massive load off my plate so that I can manage those guys, um, keep, um, keep discipling them and move on and do some other stuff as well. So, so remember the structure and think through what is the key thing for me to give myself to. Now, before I leave that, I just want to say, um, if you have a church that's not actively evangelising and you are older than five years, you need to change something radically. You need to change it radically because in your DNA you'll have something profoundly missing that will affect the whole attitude of people in church. And so if that's the case for you, um, urgently change that. Urgently change. And that's a a structure question. What do I put into the structure of the things we're currently doing so that I am promoting 
an opportunity to reach out in the gospel. Now, there's the first bit. It's, um, it's remember the structure. The second bit, though, is recruiting the team. Um, how do you recruit the team? Well, I said before, I think, the, I think these kinds of people, uh, they're not heaps of them. So what have I done? I've, um, I have to constantly be spotting talent and I've constantly be discipling people. In fact, most of the guys who are in my team, um, and I think I've got the most able team just about in our church life, uh, they're guys pretty much I've discipled. And some of them are guys I met when they were um, interns or whatever it was, they came to the Central Coast as young doctors and they're, they're now leading, they've been leading people um, years older than them, since they were 25, uh, very capable, able people, and so they're now heading teams of people. And some of them are people who were working with me across two fields. I was working in the area of maturing, and I needed to start the whole area of mission, and they came with me. Um, and they now run the follow-up work and the um, uh, some of the training work. Now, again, I'm, I'm raising there the, the principle, and that is you've got to spot You've got to spot talent. You've got to get used to doing it. You've got to disciple people. Um, and therefore, that means I am somewhat choosy with who I can spend time discipling. I've only got so many hours in the week. I meet up with, say, six or seven guys during the week. Um, and I deliberately meet with some guys who just need help. Um, but I aim to meet with people who are going to reproduce me and, uh, and, and pick up. And that is just, that's just discipling strategy, to be honest. Um, by talent spotting, just a quick thing I mean, I mean by that is when you run the training event in church, when you put on the... What sort of training do you do, Bruce? Do you do any mission training stuff? Um, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned... Um, just start talking? Just start talking. Yeah. We, we, we've uh, used that and uh, had people like that. Um, yeah. Or you put on two ways to live, or you put on some conversational evangelism. Or um, when I put those on, you always watch who appears, uh, because the person who appears for uh, the evangelism training course, sometimes it'll just be the person that feels they need to be better in that. But sometimes it's the person who actually um, is urgently seeking out, uh, they, they want to be a better evangelist. And I watch the people who invite, um, and I must say. Uh, Tell me if you think this is inappropriate. I think you need to count. You need to count lots of things in church life. Um, so I count the number of people I get to training events over the course of the year. And if I'm not, if I'm not growing that from year to year, then I, there's something I'm doing wrong. I count the number of people who we communicate the gospel to um, because the reality is God is sovereign in conversion. But if I'm... If I'm communicating the gospel to twice as many people in 2012 as I was in 2011, you would guess there's a better than average chance I'm going to see somewhat twice the number of people converted in 2012 and 2011. Therefore, the question is, how many gospel opportunities am I promoting this year than I was last year? Do you see what I'm saying in that? So you, you observe who comes along to those things, who invites um, um, last year, at the end of the year, we ran a survey 
And 34% of Sunday, it was actually a very bad year for us to do it. We had too much on. 34% of our Sunday congregations did the survey with their neighbours. About 55% of our night congregation did it. And a lesser percentage of our older congregation and our, um, uh, one of our other congregations. Now, that was pretty telling. But on, on one of those mornings, a guy from the Sunday congregation came up to me and said, where can I get some more of those surveys? <laughs> now, you know what I'm thinking. I, I, he, he was new to our church. And I thought, who is this guy <laughs> that's asking me for surveys? And I, I saw him in another, I remembered the guy. I saw him in another context. Uh, he'd been invited along to our end of year mission. And I thought, I need to have a deeper conversation with him. So I've invited him along to help out in one of our table leading teams. And he's good. It's great. It's, um, so I guess my point in that is it's talent spotting. You need to be alert to people because there aren't lots in the area of mission who are either qualified or who are um, confident, deeply convicted enough. Okay, so there's recruit the team, spot the talent um, and do it by discipling and delegate real responsibility. Did I say that? Oh, sorry, I'll come back to the delegate. Take, take risks. You've got to take risks. But evaluate the costs. You notice the dotted line there? You've got to take some risks. Now, I'm a risk, you know. Um, I, I've come to, uh, I came into Christian ministry not theologically trained. I was a good Bible reader and uh, I'd done some self-education, but Andrew Heard took a bit of a punt on me. I think. And I think he's done it a number of times, taken risks with people who weren't theologically trained that his peers, I think, perhaps wouldn't have done. Well, I think in the same sort of way, in, uh, in the running of teams within church, sometimes you've got to take a risk. Sometimes a person that you want to lead, the Bible study group or whatever it may be, may not be all that you want them to be just yet. You've got to take a risk. But evaluate the costs. Because at what level of the structure, what level of the work, can you take the risk? Do you get what I'm saying there? Tell you what we found the other day. We found people in one of our follow-up groups saying that um, they didn't feel that some of the leaders there cared for them particularly. They actually felt a little bit like they were, um, they were cast aside a little bit. And we'd taken a risk on someone and, uh, and it's biting us a little. Now, I don't think that means we dump the guy. I don't think it means that. It just means... We've got to help disciple him until he's better at the role and work out where are his strengths and where is his weakness, where is he, he, the weaknesses. We've got one guy working in that follow-up work who's a um, ophthalmologist, and I'll say this on the on the recording. Is it still being recorded? I'm assuming it is. He's a busy, busy guy, and I, my observation is his contact work with the um, with the new Christians he's got in the group is not as wonderful as I'd love it to be, but he's. He's wearing a million hats in church life. And I think to myself, do I need to give him someone who can just do the admin for him? You know, who can just be his uh, second in command who helps communicate? Because he brings fantastic things to it. Um, but there is a little cost there. So take risks, but evaluate the cost. Otherwise you'll be so conservative 
you will never actually um, you'll never introduce other people to the work. You'll do it all yourself. You'll become a control freak, and, and you'll never grow anything. So that last one there, delegate real responsibility. Delegate real responsibility. Uh, so Chris has got a church of... Yeah. And he's got decisions to make about growth group leaders. And eventually, I guess, someone who heads up those growth group leaders and looks after the training of those guys. Well, he's got to take a punt somewhere. And, um, and he's got to, if he wants to make sure he gives himself enough time and energy to develop other areas in church life with working four days a week uh, in a secular job and working on the church the couple of days left he's got, he's got to create enough spare time for himself to develop something else. Well, he's going to have to delegate real responsibility. If What happens if he keeps coming in and intruding between the leader he appoints and the guys that he's got in place who this leader is leading? Just undermines this guy. Um, so he's got, to, he's got to delegate real responsibility at that point and sometimes live with the consequences while you keep discipling the guy who's up here. Um, and if you don't delegate real responsibility, people lose their vision and they'll, they'll not want to pursue it. They'll just figure, oh, I'm just doing a job for you. They'll never take over any real responsibility themselves. They'll just do what you tell them to do and you won't grow anything. So recruit the team. Um, and last bit, develop the team. Develop the team. Years ago, um, and I hinted at it earlier, Philip Jensen, I thought, showed tremendous insight. Now, some of you know, how many people don't know Philip Jensen? Yeah, okay. Philip Jensen was the chaplain at the University of New South Wales. He's now up in uh, New South Wales. He's the, um, the dean of the, the cathedral, St Andrew's Cathedral. Uh, Peter Jensen's the archbishop. Philip is his brother. They're guys who've had, a treme- I think, a tremendous impact on, um, on Anglicanism, and sorry to speak as Anglicans, I know many of you are Presbyterians, had a massive impact on Anglicanism throughout Australia and worldwide. And Philip, for me, was a very formative guy. But he recognised, he brought an extraordinary Bible teaching ministry of uni- to University of New South Wales, but he wasn't a discipler, and Cole Marshall was. And so Philip grabbed Cole Marshall to develop the whole training, discipling dimension of his ministry, which has meant that that particular university during the time he was there produced um, hundreds, I think, of men who went into full-time Christian ministry because they had a vision for the word uh, and they had a capacity to begin to disciple people into the role of of ministering the word. Um, uh, The reality is when you develop a team of people... You don't say, here's the work, all the best, <laughs> go and do it. You've got, to, you've got to be continually just discipling those people. It means you've got to be continually meeting with them. Uh, that's the heart of the work. And so part of that is them knowing clearly what they've got to do. That might sound a little bit corporate to you, does it? Develop a job description. Um, I, I confess, I'm not great at this stuff. I'm not... Because I'm... I've been running so hard for so long not doing the admin stuff. I don't find that I'm now that great at doing it and I find I don't like doing it, but I've got to do it. 
if I, unless I set for someone, here's the clear job description about what I want you to do, you know, knock yourself out and let's keep talking about it. We meet each month and see how it's going. Unless I do that, can you imagine what will happen? I will either constrain their vision and set it too small, um, and so they'll all the time be coming to me and operating by what I'd call public service mode. Do you know, they fulfil the little task and that's it. They clock off it. You know, what do they do in the public service? They clock off at twelve thirty and uh, and sharpen pencils for the rest of the day. Um, if if you no, you can edit that bit out. I'm sure. Unless you give unless you give person a clear a, a clear field that they're working in, then they won't really expend any energy in it. They won't gain a great vision for doing it. And so, it's enormously helpful to have done that, um, and then help them learn from their mistakes. Um, we ran a meeting on Sunday afternoon for our um, for a particular aspect of our ministry. Now I'm going to choose carefully what I say, um, and I thought it was a shamozel. It, was, uh, it worked really, really badly. And, it's, and it has a negative impact on one of, the, uh, one of the fragile groups that we had come along. We're trying to train people from our night congregation to be better at a particular role. They're not very confident at it. We put them together with our people from our Sunday morning congregation. We ran a training event for them and it was done really, really badly. Now, what do you do with that? I've got to identify where was I at fault? Where did I mess up on that? Where did we together mess up on it? How can we do it better next time? How do we not keep making the same sorts of mistakes on that? And that really was me mentoring into the role a guy who I think is... It's a stretch for him to do it. I don't think he's... I don't think he's set of gifts means this is his sweet spot. I reckon he's passionate and keen. It's not quite his sweet spot. And, uh, but I'm not going to sack him. I've just got to help him. And I reckon he's worked out already. I reckon I need to do this next time. Well, when I went and met with the guy that's leading him that afternoon. We talked over what to do. Um, we need to get onto it early next time. So help, help people learn from mistakes. Keep the vision bright. Keep the vision bright. Which of you guys lead Bible study groups in church life? Yeah, but you? I reckon when you're leading Bible study groups, you need someone who will help keep the vision bright for you. When you're working in mission, when you're working in evangelism, if you're seeing lots of fruit, it's not that hard to keep the vision bright at all. People are constantly excited by seeing people become Christians. But, you, but I do need to communicate to them. Um, you know, last term, 45 people uh, did the life course in, a, in follow-up groups. It's fantastic. Uh, they're excited by that and they need to see some of that and um, hear some of those stories and be excited by it. Now, in your context, it'll be what, what's the thing that will enthuse the people who are working at it? Um, we need constant encouragement in it. Some of the encouragement, I think, in the area of mission is just intrinsic. We love seeing people converted. We love seeing people come to maturity in the faith. And so it's an exciting area to work on. But work at keeping the vision bright 
and those of you who are pastoring churches, um, you, you will constantly be doing this either well or poorly by what you do on a weekend. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm diverging a bit from my brief at the moment. Um, but when you stand up and talk about money and the fact that you don't have much money, you can either do that well in a way that, in, that helps people look to God as one who's sovereign or you can do it poorly in a way that makes them anxious. Every time you communicate something as a leader, you, either, you set the vision for people either well or poorly. So remember your communication. It's part of keeping the vision bright. Um, evaluate with the goal in mind. Now, let me give you some... Um, uh, if you've been in a church for a long time, here is a danger for, for all of us, I think. You keep something running because you sense that it's been successful. You keep something running because you sense that it's been successful. But I'm suggesting um, you need to determine actually whether it's successful. So if you're in a, if you're in a, you're running a, a ministry that has to do with mission, with outreach, you know what you've got to count. You've got to count: are people actually being converted? As bottom line, um, how many people are hearing the gospel? How many people are making their way into follow-up groups? Now I'm saying you need to do that, and ministers frequently don't do it. We we simply assume it is working well, and we haven't really got the time to count it. But unless you count it, you're expending energy on something that just isn't working. And my observation is, for 30 years, I think we've been running outmoded uh, mission outreach activities that actually are not so successful. And if they were successful, we'd see more fruit. And if we woke up to the fact they're not that successful, we'd change what we're doing. I think ministers are very poor at doing that, so you've got to keep evaluating with the goal in mind, which means count some stuff and work out are we, are we growing it or not. And if we're not growing it, change it. Or scrap it and start with something else. I think this might be the second to last. Um, with your team, because you'll have a team, it'll be small or large, um, you need to meet and eat and celebrate. That is, get together, have some food, talk about what's happening. <coughs> I want to run it like some sort of corporate show. You, your friends together, working on an enterprise together. So meet, eat and celebrate on in a month's time, I'll get together with all the teams that work in mission, in mission in our church. In your church, it might be it might be three or four of you. It may just be two of you. Um, in another church, it may be, you know, there might be 20. But we want to get together and we want to talk about what's been happening, what have been the things that have been encouraging, what are the new things we're going to work on, uh, have some food together and celebrate it. That's the last one for me. Um, I don't know if this is the case for you, but if you're one person running really hard in a scenario where you can see lots of things that you'd like to do and you haven't got the energy to do them all, don't forget all the things that you'd like to do. Um, I've, got, I've got a whole bunch of ideas that we would pursue if we had the energy to do it and if we had the, the person who's just... That's exactly their sweet spot. If, if I had the person to do that then that would be the thing I'd send them away to do. Well, don't forget them. Don't forget those things. 
store them away somewhere so that you can dust them out and say, I reckon now we've got the energy to do that. In mission at my church, there's just me and another guy, untheologically trained. He's a, um, he's a guy who worked in a nursery. He left school in year 10. He could barely read. Um, I hope I'm not doing it with this service. He taught himself to read by reading Spurgeon. He became so passionate about the Bible, that's what he did. He worked in the local nursery, and when he got a lunch hour, he'd just go and read Spurgeon. And so he's my, he's my 2IC, and he works very, very hard in a whole bunch of different things. But it means we're constantly flat out, and we can do very, very little without developing the team. I think of things, he thinks of things, generates ideas, and we figure, yeah, we can't do it this year. But... Next year, or when we have someone who actually comes on and actually has the capacity to do it, we'll say, let's do that one now. So remember the dreams.